Epiphany Fellowships podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. How many of you, that's your life's voice? That's your word. The Bible says those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We're my worshipers of God. Amen. Amen. I hope you believe in worship. It's a lot of benefits to worship. One benefit of worship is it draws you near to God. But my Bible says that when you draw near to him, he returns the favor. He draws near to you. Not only that, um, worship can relieve emotional stress. Um, David would play for Saul and that would happen. Um, Another thing that worship does is it invites God's presence in a way that causes the enemy to flee. Or y'all not going to talk back. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee for you. One of the ways of fleeing is, of course, saying no, but one of the ways to help you to say no is to invoke God's presence. Do you know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit? That means that God's presence is already there with you and in you, you just don't realize it. But what worship does is it sets Jesus aside as Lord in your heart. And then all of a sudden is the Holy Spirit begins Shekinah in himself and covering you and being around you. I wish I had some people that were old enough to know or that's been through something hard enough to know that every now and then you need an atmosphere shifting disposition that will absolutely bombastically change the environment that you're in. And I don't say this as somebody um, that doesn't understand that. I say say that because, you know, my wife is dealing with chemo. She had her first chemo. She stayed overnight. And, you know, we, we are, we're in it to win it with Jesus. Um, no matter what's thrown, no matter what comes, um, we're here. Um, we're here. And we'll talk a little bit about that when we talk about our message today. Um, but I'm always encouraged <laughs> by my wife. So on Friday, I take her to the hospital. She checks in. I'm in there trying to finish up the sermon. The tech walks in. Uh, Yvette, they tried her IV like 15 times. They couldn't get a stick. And so, first off, that makes her a soldier automatically to me because I'd be cringed all up with one little John, you know. But the tech comes in and my wife just abruptly shared the gospel with her. Now, she's supposed to be in there for chemotherapy, but she also saw it as a mission field. (laughs) And um, that um, makes her a, a big reason why she's my hero, because she doesn't see the pain that she's going through as a vacation from being a Christian. And so I'm just encouraged by that. 
the girl said, yeah, I, I know the Lord. I've had some experiences, some bad things, but you know what? This experience is encouraging me to go back and go back to church. So thank the Lord for his grace. Amen. Well, today we're still in our series on rebranding Christianity, rebranding the faith. Um, let's uh, open up our Bibles to John 6 verses 60 through verse 71. John 6, verse 60 through 71. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's okay. We'll have it up on the screen if you're able to see that. One, two, three, read. Amen. Today, I would like to talk about rebranding discipleship. Rebranding discipleship. Let's go before the God of heaven. Lord, as I prayed the first gathering, I pray that you would tether my anger, uh, tether my um, disappointment about this in your church, and increase the beauty and glory of a life being committed to helping people and being myself conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Help the church to know how important this is. Help there to be no civilians anymore. God, let the word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust in Jesus name. Everybody agree with that said? You may be seated. Rebranding discipleship. When we talk about rebranding, we're not talking about creating something new. When we talk about rebranding, we're talking about um, representing. Somebody say represent. Represent is just us taking the reality of what is historically true based on God's word and recommunicating it and practically um, living it out in our everyday lives as believers. And talking about rebranded discipleship, it reminds me 
of uh, my time during the pandemic, our time during the pandemic. Um, and what's interesting is during the pandemic, I ate more Wingstop than I would like to say I was proud of. Um, uh, I am a, uh, a chicken wing connoisseur. I, I am. And don't talk about, um, you know, you know, black people stereotypes. It's, it is what it is. I like chicken wings. So whatever you want to call it, call it whatever you want to call it. I think all races like chicken wings if they're not vegan. I don't, I ain't met a, a meat eater that don't like chicken wings. Amen. Um, and so um, I, I went on one of my occasions and I, I ordered, and of course it always takes 25 minutes because they make your stuff to order. I get there, it's crowded. As I get there and it's crowded in there, I, uh, what's your name, sir? Mason, yes, your order's ready. Pull out my order. I check everything because lately um, the, a lot of stuff has been wrong in my orders. So I don't trust nobody. If they stapled it and say it's ready, we did it. I opened it. It was wrong. I said my order's wrong. And, and, and so the, 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 the boss began to, she took my order and she said, y'all got it wrong and threw it at him. And I was like, oh. She threw it at her, at her people, and then somebody, an Uber driver came in, and a Grubhub person came in, and a DoorDash person came in, and they were trying to get their orders, and this person was trying to order, and then another person said their order wasn't right. It was chaos in there. But, 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 the, but the, the thing that was, the, the chaos didn't really bother me. The thing that bothered me was this culture and the situation in the Wingstop. The, 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 the manager in the Wingstop start cussing out all the workers, now, the workers had to be between eight, 16 and 20. They were young. And, 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 and I mean, she stopped. The Everybody stopped. And she just started, lock the door. Don't let nobody else in. We, we can't afford to take no more. It was, I was like, wow. And when I looked around, she would tell this person when this order came in, she would say, go fix his. But that person was on the fry, so they weren't supposed to fix the order. Then she would tell them when this one's been messed up, she would hand it to the cashier who's checking somebody out, tell them stop cashing that person out and go do this. And it was chaos. And, 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 and as I watched and looked around, I don't know anything about managing a wing stop, but one thing I do know about is leadership. And I could tell that this wasn't a franchise problem. It was a leadership problem. It wasn't a brand problem because they had the product. They had a good product. <laughs> but, 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 but it was... A house problem, leadership problem. Because if, if I were managing it, if it was just a leadership thing, I'd have one person on the frying station. I would have a one person on the saucing station. You understand what I'm saying? I would have one person on the, on the phone orders. I would have another person on the orders that come in from the internet. I would have another person that's cash sharing. I would have another person that's making sure the orders get out that are done when they're finished. And I would have a, a, a quality check person to make sure that every order is quality, listen, and has everything in it that's supposed to be in it based on the receipt. And I would have them physically check it off as they look at and see and make sure everything's in the order. Leadership, but because there was, and I told somebody, I said, "This is this is not a this is not a problem with this. This is a leadership problem." And everybody was like, "She was just cussing." We, I got my food and left. I got out of there. But one of the things I did understand is it reminds me of discipleship in the church. We have the best product the world could ever have to offer to itself, but we have the most chaotic unclear philosophy and practice of discipleship. I think it's both the leaders and the pews because I think that there are different expectations of it. And I think that 
every church needs to, a church can have a vision statement all they want to. They can, they can show me that their website enter the site. You, you have the, the praise and worship playing on the screen, and it's all uh, HD'd out or ultra. You can have it all beautiful and all that. You got the best brochures. You can show the baptism of the people coming out. You can show all of the beautiful things. You got the best Instagram. You got the best clips. You can have the best uh, stuff on, on, on TikTok. You can have all of the beautiful things. But at the end of the day, if you don't have people that are growing and being conformed to the image of Christ, we have a problem. We have a problem. And so when we talk about discipleship, discipleship is the mechanism that facilitates people being conformed to the image of Christ. That's what it does, right? But however, we have a lot of obstacles. Can I talk about them, please? Now, I'm going to tell y'all right now, I didn't finish at all in the first service. So um, be ready for this not to be finished. It'll possibly be finished next Sunday. Amen. Major obstacles to discipleship. First one is unhealthy individualism. Unhealthy individualism. The Bible says in Proverbs 18.1, every person that isolates themselves seeks their own desires. Um, we have a lot of people that think life is individual, not communal. And so what ends up happening is people want the church built around them and their personal preferences without any framework for God's biblical principles. And so when we look at discipleship and what is necessary for discipleship, we have a lot of unhealthy individualism. Number two, we have people who want spiritual advisors versus spiritual authority. Um, um, you, know, you know what's happened since the pandemic has happened. People found out that they can treat uh, 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 um, church like, uh, like YouTube TV. Oh, Okay. You know how you do when we watch TV, you know, you ever had that person in your house where you go over their house, they got the remote and they, and as soon as the good part of what you want to see come on, they change the channel. <laughs> then they go from that channel and you, you say, okay, I'll just die to that and go to this. Then they get to that. They change the channel. They just keep changing. We got people, you know, they, they just stay home now. I'm explaining some stuff about it and what our philosophy of that is now. Okay. And, 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 and they say, home, they, I, I, let me see the praise and worship. Oh, no, nah, let me go over here. Mm. Oh, I like the praise and worship here. Mm. Hallelujah. Okay, word time. Let's see what the word like here. Oh, no, nah, I don't like what they're saying right now. Let me go over here. In other words, it's a smorkish board now. And so now they listen more to thought leaders than they do theologians. And, and so now they, 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 they get... They, and, and other, in, other, in other words, no one wants anyone to have an oversight of them no more. They want the they want the they want the rolling door option of being able to pick off the buffet of quasi truth what they want to see if it tastes good and if it tastes good I'll eat it but I don't care what is good for me or not I just like the way it tastes and so we live where we want advisors not authority <laughs> you can't read Paul long enough to know that he was he didn't like that. The church is no longer expected to be the central, to be central to personal spiritual formation. And so now, and we'll talk about this in a minute, is now people don't view the local church the same way they did. And so now, personal spiritual formation is not done. When I say spiritual formation, I'm talking about the things that God uses to grow you and the church being central to that. That, 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 that should be a central piece of our life that we are part of and connected practically to a local church another obstacle to discipleship though is spiritual abuse 
Uh-oh, y'all got quiet on that one. Spiritual abuse is when people have actual issues with the church that are true issues that they should have to the church, but people use, use their voice as a way to manipulate people into doing what they want that benefits them versus benefits the people that they're supposed to serve. In other words, spiritual abuse is when people, not just prophets, but even people's pathetic use of scripture and, and, and manipulation try to uh, uh, acculturate people to make them get used to spiritual unhealth. And then when you, when you start pushing back on the spiritual unhealth, they act like you crazy. But when somebody uses unbiblical ways to lock you in and, 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 and create a spiritual unhealthy environment and spiritual unhealth becomes a nurtured norm, you know what we call that? A cult. That's a cult. And so you know it's a cult that when you say something's wrong here and, and it's biblical and it's true, you get pushed back and pushed out. And when you begin to leave and you come pulling away from it and you want to leave, people come around you and they shun you and act like you, you, they can't be around you no more when it had nothing to do with sin. You just brought up a challenge. But because they want to protect the culture of the cultism in the church, instead of repenting of the cultism that they did, they kick you out so that you got out the matrix, but they don't want nobody else to get out the matrix. So if you get out the matrix, you get out of here because I don't want you talking that truth to these people because I got them under my fog. We live in a, a culture also on the other side of hypersensitivity. We talked about this. Hey, you need to repent. I just feel like that's, you just you traumatized me just now. You just traumatized me. I said repent. I didn't beat you. No, I just feel like that I should be loved better than this. No, you're sinning. <laughs> repent. No, I just feel like that this is so abusive to me that, oh, oh my God. And so, that, and so now leaders feel de-empowered to challenge and feel like they got to run a baby nursery instead of a ministry because people don't have the spiritual vitality and formation to understand that a rebuke is good for the soul. That a fool denies a rebuke, but a wise person eats it like food. And then there's frustration with the local church. Can I take my time? It's frustration with the local church. And so there's viable frustration because we don't have... Like I said last week, a consistent brand of taste. I don't care where you go in the country. If you go to Chick-fil-A downtown, you go to Chick-fil-A in the suburbs, you go to Chick-fil-A in Yugoslavia, China, Africa, them, them nuggets going to have the same herbs and spices that it has here, there. The fries are going to be waffled. They're not going to be crinkled. They're not going to get innovative. Listen, the brand does it like this. It needs to be brand consistency. We need to develop consistency in the brand of God's gospel and his glory and his church globally. So it's frustration with it because of the brand inconsistency. Not only that, the next one is un unhealthy expectations of discipleship. You know, one, some, some people, when I say unhealthy expectations, some people want to live at your house. Like, like that's a necessary central piece of the gospel. That's descriptive, not prescriptive. Y'all know what that means from a few weeks ago, right? And, and, and then they, they, instead of wanting to be conformed to the image of Christ, they want to be conformed to the image of that person. And so there's unhealthy expectations and there's a neediness there where it's not discipleship, it's coddling. And, and this happens a lot of times when people have challenges in their family life 
and they latch on to a, a person or a family in the church. And what they'll begin to do is instead of having discipleship expectations of that, of that couple or that individual, they have parenting expectations. We're not talking about spiritual parenting, which is discipleship. We're talking about paternal parenting, which is not discipleship. And nobody in the church is promised to be your paternal parent if your paternal upbringing was challenged. However, there are spiritual ways that they can stand in the gap. But when you put expectations on them that God didn't put on them, they're your expectations, not God's. And you'll get, the, you'll get frustrated because you've made a rubric that God didn't create. Not only that, a reductionistic understanding of discipleship. Everybody reduces discipleship to one form of discipleship. We'll talk about it next week. But I, I remember one group telling me, Pastor, if you don't spend individual time with one person and disciple that one person, you haven't discipled them. And I always tell people, and we'll talk about this later, I said, show me in the Bible individual discipleship as, a, as the model of discipleship in the Bible. You won't find it. Even when you bring up a person's relationship with that person, it was still done in a community. So, so in other words, reducing discipleship to a particular methodology. All right? And that means that if the church isn't doing your preferred mechanism of discipleship, some of us may think that the church isn't doing discipleship, but it just means that the means is a mechanism for the end, not the other way around. And then there's not an emphasis in many churches. And then there's also a limited understanding of discipleship. So what is discipleship then? What is it? Discipleship is a disciple, a disciple rather, is a disciple is a, a, a disciple of Jesus is one who has renounced, somebody yell renounced. renounced. Say it again, renounced. renounced. Renounced himself or herself and pledged their life to being in a lifetime apprenticeship to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are his apprentice for the rest of your life. You never stop growing and you never stop needing investment. You are in a lifetime journey. Paul says, not that I've gotten there, but I press towards the mark of the goal of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That, that's what we're talking about. This is a lifelong journey. So as soon as you get saved, young person, as soon as you get saved, Oprah, you are automatically in a discipleship relationship with God through Jesus Christ. There's no such thing as you're a believer, not a disciple. That, that, that's Western thinking. That's false dichotomies. In the mind of God, when you say you're a believer, you're a disciple. When you say you're a disciple, you're a believer. All right? And so I like the way Bonhoeffer says it. Discipleship is not an offer that man makes to Christ. I love that. I love that because you don't get to come to God with your syllabus. That'd be like your first day at Temple said, you know, I got some things that I want, I planned on. Here's my syllabus, professor. Build, it around, build a class around what I want to learn. I would like to see how that goes, right? No, you don't give a professor the curriculum. The professor gives you the curriculum. Same thing with the church. You don't come with your curriculum. This is the way I learn. This is the way I... No, you come with the, dis with, with, with the disposition of submission in order that you may walk in what it means to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does this look like, right? Look at the text. This is my first point. Being a disciple of Jesus is an invitation to emancipation, not a prison. Let me say that again. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is an, an invitation to be emancipated, not a prison. 
Now, I, I want us to really, really understand this. Because as people begin to deal with what it means to be a disciple and the, the, the workout plan that God puts you on, because God does put you on a workout plan. I want you to really, really know that. And that workout plan comes fast. Comes very, very fast. But he's strengthened you for it. And that's what I love about God. God never puts anything on you that he hasn't given you the ability to walk in. There's no requirement that he asks of you that he didn't empower you for. That's why I love what the Bible says. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. In other words, God has downloaded on to your heart. Matter of fact, he has given you a new operating system. And now that he's given you a new operating system, he wants you to be in a lifestyle of downloading the apps that help you to look like Jesus Christ. So look at verse 60. It says, therefore... When many disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Now, it's a lot in this text, and I, I want to come to the latter part. But, but it's interesting. It's all about when the disciples heard this. And when we talk about disciples, and I want to further define this, because I think a lot of times in churches and in ministries, we don't make it as clear as we should make it in relation to what it looks like to be a disciple. But one of the things that I like about Jesus Christ is Jesus, this is beautiful, this is one of the, it's, it's kind of both, is what it means to be a disciple and what does discipleship look like. One of the things that I like about this passage of scripture, this section of scripture from chapter five to this one, is Jesus disciples them in the context of outreach. Most of the time, Jesus disciples them in the context of being active, not in being passive. In other words, what, what I like about God is he's so brilliant is that before they came up with a scientific method and observation and the, the ways of the mechanism to teaching, God had already known the, the ways in which people would learn. He didn't need you to go to elementary education and learn how to be a disciple. In other words, um, he taught us beautifully what all of those mechanisms of teaching were. How do I know? Because he used all of your senses. He uses your eyes. He uses your ears. He used their smell. He used their taste and he used their touch. How do I know that? Because God taught them in tactile ways, passed out fish. So they handled the fish and they know it was only a few fish. It's an object lesson. Not only that, auditory. He, he was listening while he was teaching. But then this is the other part of it. It was visual learning. So that they can learn how God provided as disciples. So they knew it was five fish, uh, 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 two fish and five loaves of bread, and they saw the basket. But what Jesus did was he reached his hand in the basket and he would come out with fish. And he would just keep coming out with fish. How are they visually learning? They're visually learning because they knew it was only two fish in there. But they don't understand how every time he goes in the basket, a fish comes out. In other words, some way, shape, or form, this Jesus can reach into a void of nothing when I have needs, and he can pull it out, and he can just keep giving it to me. So when things get low in my life as a disciple, I don't have to worry, and I don't have to walk away because the one who stepped out on nothing spoke into nothing, and something had to obey. He says, yeah, there'll be light. Nobody heard a light. Matter of fact, there was nobody around at all, but light said, darkness, get out of the way. God said, come into existence. See, a disciple family, a disciple, a disciple of Christ is on a journey with him. 
Your financial challenges is you being on a journey with him. You dealing with student loan debt is a journey. I know I'm in the room now. Somebody say, somebody say, God bless me today, God. I hear you today. Eh? That was fake. Just for my people that said, that was unbiblical. That was fake. The real ones I do in private. Um, being a disciple is God dealing with all of your senses all the time to help you to look like Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? But listen, what is discipleship? What is discipleship? Discipleship, number one, is Christological. I got to break this down while we're here. It's Christological. What does that mean? It's built around Jesus being our example. Christus exemplar says he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ. Because in order to really understand this text, we have to work through this. <laughs> Discipleship is relational, meaning organic connection. In other words, discipleship is you taking initiative for your own spiritual formation. What does that mean? You're not waiting for somebody to pick you up and call you. You put yourself in situations where you have relational contact with other people. Help me today. That means that you make yourself available. You have to build your life around saying, I'm going to connect with other people who happen to be believers and we're from the same local community because we're on a mission together and God has called us in covenant together and so let's do this together. Yeah. It's relational. And that, that, that means that you have to like people. The, the Bible doesn't say hang with people. Thou shalt hang with people who you have chemistry with. <laughs> it's not in the Bible. Matter of fact, it actually says the opposite. You shall like those who don't like you. That's gospel living. Right? That means you don't have to have an affinity to hang out with someone. Amen. That's going to step on all kinds of stuff we got. I don't like them. But did the Bible ever say you had to like somebody? Said you had to love them, no. That liking is easy. Loving is hard. Liking is you want to. Love means I must. It's also prototypical, meaning modeling. Paul says, the things that you've learned and seen and heard in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. Are y'all tracking with me? So discipleship is modeling. This is going to play into what we talk about next. Very importantly, it's prototypical. In other words, there has to be the modeling in community. Next, it's educational. It's doctrinal. It's doctrinal and it's scriptural. Bible says, admonishing and teaching man in order that they may be presented complete in Christ. These things are written to you in order that you may not stray far from the things that are written. First Corinthians uh, 4, 6, right? So why am I saying all of this, right? Because we have created an environment where we ask people, what do they think about scripture? So what you think this verse is saying? I don't know what I think and feel like it's saying. That don't mean nothing. Nobody care what you think scripture is saying. That's, that, listen, that's called an exchange of ignorance. There's a bunch of people feeling how they want to feel about the Bible. Listen, no, no, no. We teach sound doctrine and teach it, and this is what we do. We don't say, how do you feel about loving your neighbor? We don't ask you how you feel about uh, uh, being a disciple. We don't ask you how you feel about giving yourself a living sacrifice. We don't ask you how you feel and you suffer as a good Christian. We don't tell you, ask you how you feel. No, God says, no, you do this. 
ain't how you feel. I don't feel like making peace with them, but that ain't what the Bible says. Bible says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Have you done all you were supposed to do? Uh-oh, that's a side word. <clears throat> it's communal. Now, this is important. I got to set here because you see they're around each other. They're communal. We're losing the communal nature of the faith because, you know, you know I, I reached out, I've been reaching out to people. And I'm, I'm going to just say it. And I don't care if anybody get mad at me. Where you been? Listen. The Bible says one another's. It's 1,050 commands of Christ. Most of them are one another's. <clears throat> In other words, our relationship with the body is supposed to be has, have proximity. <clears throat> Somebody asked us, hey, pastor, can, can, we, uh, can we join? I said, yeah, you can join. No, no, no. We're, we're, we're in California. What? No, we want to be members. We love Epiphany. We love your ministry. Now, if I was the type of pastor that was into two things, which, you know, hey. But if I was into, man, I like the way that sounds. You know, they can't even find no church out there. Our church so bad, boy. Oh, you got you to gotta look all the way online and finish to get a word. <laughs> you got to look all the way over here. And then I'd be like, oh, you could tithe. And I know churches are getting a half a million, uh, 1.5 million off of online giving. But what doesn't, what can't guide us is ego and money. We have to, listen, we have to, we have to let truth of scripture guide us. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm sick in a hospital, an email is cool, but a member's presence is different. If I'm in the hospital and somebody come in the hospital, they sent flowers. That's cool if you sent flowers. But it's different to come in there and say, I've been, look me in the eye and say, I've been thinking about you. I've been praying for you. And then they put their hand on their shoulder and pull out some oil and put it in their hand and lay their hands on you and begin to pray for you and travail over you. I'm telling you, the internet can't give you that. I'm not telling people don't watch online. I'm saying don't make it your community. There's no such thing as online community. It's no such thing. It's a joke. It's a Ponzi scheme. Listen, the way I, the way I can be when I'm isolated, I need somebody that's going to pull up. I need, I need somebody. Where you been, dog? Where you been at? I ain't seen you. How you living? Because you know you crazy as me too and you need somebody with your old crazy out of your mind self to come see about you when you ain't come to Bible study, when you ain't come to small group, when you ain't come to church, when you ain't come to outreach. You need. I need, I need local community to help me not to go crazy. And so, we got to have proximity. Not only that, it's spiritual. It's got to be Holy Spirit driven. 
Holy Spirit driven. Not only that, it's got to be sacrificial. <clears throat> it's got it's to be, be sacrificial. That means it's not going to always be comfortable, family. We're trying to rebrand it. See, we're not going into this leisure Christianity. 10% of the people do 90% of the work. People not shed like it's got to be you not sacrifice means I don't feel like it, but it's a must. <laughs> it's cultural as well. Why is it cultural? Because discipleship looks different contextually, but it should have the same goal. It's not going to look the same in the suburbs or rural area as it does in the urban area or even this part of the urban area with Center City or somewhere else. But it should be done. Lastly, it's holistic. I like the way Paul says it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, he says, may the Lord sanctify you both mind, body, soul, spirit. He, in other words, the whole of you, that means discipleship is not just for your soul, it's for all of your life. It's for everything, right? <clears throat> so, 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 so in light of that, and in looking at that, God does all of this to engage and penetrate us. And so this means, what are the mechanisms? Everything in the church is a means of discipleship, y'all. Remember I said that Jesus used fish, he used, he, used, he used the miracle, he used teaching, he used all of these things as means to disciple. <clears throat> so what, what, what are some things a disciple here? Outreach, giving, serving, Sunday morning services, Bible study, men's and women's ministry, fellowships, and organic relational times. All of those, not one of those, all of those are means of helping us to grow in Christ. Now, what, now, now in the text he says this. In verse 60, the disciples hear him teaching and they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? What teaching is hard? What well, he said earlier that unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part with me. Now, for a Jew hearing that, cannibalism was a sign that God had taken his hand off the nation. If you look anywhere in the Old Testament, it said you will eat your children and you that's all having to do with God taking his hand off the nation. Right. And then drinking blood was a no, no, um, because because a life was in the blood. But if they understood who was talking, they would understand what he was talking about. Because if he said if life is they've told them not to drink animal blood because there's no life in drinking their blood. But if Jesus said you to drink his blood. Now, first off. If he would have died, divvy himself up bodily, it wouldn't be, even with 5,000, probably 10,000 people because of women and children, they wouldn't have all been able to drink his blood. They wouldn't have eaten his body. So it had to be spiritual. So if Jesus, listen, is talking about life is in the blood, but drink my blood, that means that life is in him. But the hard teaching was this, is they didn't understand it. And because they didn't understand it, they began pushing back from Jesus Christ because he came up against them having to push through their struggle with what he was saying in order to continue to be a disciple. Has God ever said something hard to you? Has God ever said something hard to you before? Well, well you was like, oh, God, that's kind of tough. Or well, has God ever let you go through something hard and didn't talk but let you process and had to deal with and sit in it and him not explain. Let me say it. Let me give you some stuff. Hard teaching that we have to embrace as believers. A theology of suffering. Has God ever allowed you 
over and over and over and over and over again have uh, issues. And, and, and listen, you know he has the ability to heal and you've prayed, but God doesn't heal. At the moment where God doesn't heal is where your discipleship begins. Why? Why did your discipleship begin there? Because it begins with you trusting God despite him not doing what you preferred him to do. It's a test. It's a test. If there's a catastrophe, bombs blow upon quote-unquote innocent people, why didn't God stop it? That's, a, that's the, theonomy. That's the reality of dealing with human suffering. As if humans are isn't innocent, but we indict God when humans are not innocent. But, but the goal of it is, can you stay in your faith when you don't understand what God is saying to you? None of that internal punishment. How can God send people to hell? Well, God didn't send people to hell. It was made for his devils and his angels, actually. But man uh, decided that he wanted to be like the devils and angels. So he made it a little bit bigger so that the fools who don't want to be with him go in there. But then God loved you enough that he sent his only son to give you life so you wouldn't have to spend eternity with the hell and the angels, but you can spend with him. But you focus on the fact that there's some people that can go to hell, not the fact that he provided his son. Yeah. Disciples wrestle through things. Letting the Lord fight your battles. We got too many scrappy dudes in the church. Oh, I'm sorry. Y'all don't even know who scrappy dude is. My bad. Fight people that want to fight their own battles. It takes faith to not fight when you know you can knock somebody out. Oh, oh see, I ain't got no people in here that if we found you about 10 years ago, you was a little bit different. But listen, it takes strength to hear God say, you can't fight this one. Stand back and let me work. That's a hard thing to hear. This is another thing. God doesn't promise to bring all deliverance now. That's hard. That's, it's hard when God isn't doing everything that he's going to do. And you say, yeah, I know one day when Jesus returns, he'll make a new heaven and a new earth. We can't be cynical about that. So why is this important? Why is this important? Why is hard things to hear important? Number one, it helps you trust Jesus. It helps you trust Jesus. Number two, it exposes where you are on your journey. It always does. And next, it confronts your personal values with God's. Now, I'm going to end on this, and I love this. This is a great place to end. Jesus, in verse 61, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this. Ask them, does this offend you? you? Know what I like about this verse? A couple things. This reminds you of Moses in the wilderness. He just talked about manna. Just talked about manna that comes down from heaven, but I'm the manna that comes down from heaven. They get the manna, they get the food. And then when Jesus tells them something, after proving who he is by a miracle, they grumbled. Just like Israel. Now, let me explain something to you. Grumbling in the Bible is synonymous with unbelief. <laughs> Not wrestling, grumbling. That's, 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 grumbling is different. And know what I like about Jesus? And I'm going to shut it down right here. He here for it. Because guess what he say? Guess what he say? Does this offend you? 
No, but I thought that Jesus, we started saying, oh, come on, let's sit in Indian style. Come on, let's sit down. Let's talk it out. Now, why, why don't you understand what I'm saying? I really want you guys to be your disciples. No. He said, does this offend you? Why? Because he don't owe you jack. Listen, following Jesus is best done wrestling by faith. I'm telling y'all, I remember the day I lost my oldest child. I will never forget the day like it was yesterday. And I remember being in seminary. Some of y'all heard the story. And believing that because my wife and I were in school, we didn't deserve to lose our child. Because my theology was works-based, not grace-based. So my theology, I wouldn't have said that if you'd asked me what did I believe. Oh, I believe that salvation is by grace through faith, not that of works, it is a gift of God to both. But back behind that, it was this dude to say, yeah, and when I do right, huh, God owe me something. And guess what God did? God, I'm not, I'm not saying that situation was created by God, but what I will say is God used it. God used it and says, listen, you serving me does not give you the right for me to not allow very bad things to happen to you. And it doesn't mean I don't love you. And your mind, you can't even wrap your mind around the fact that I didn't intervene the way you wanted and I still love you. That's a discipleship lesson. And some of you, God has allowed some tumultuous stuff to happen to you and you're on the edge. And God is saying, yeah, I could have done something about it, but I didn't. Will you still walk with me even though I didn't? I know you made plans. It didn't turn out how you wanted. I'm still here with you. I didn't leave you. I'm still with you. I'm holding your hand and I'm carrying you, but I'm not going to do what you want me to do. And this is a lesson for you in this season of life to walk with me, even though you don't understand why I'm allowing what I'm saying to you to happen. And the answer is still no, but I love you. I'm done. I told my, ch my children, uh, <laughs> my daughter knows that she got me, but she just knows. But I became a man in my relationship with my daughter yesterday. Finally. <laughs> um, usually when I tell her if she does something one more time, I don't do nothing about it. <laughs> but, you, but you know what I learned? I was creating a monster. Because life don't work like dad with a daughter. So she said, she did it again. And I took a deep breath. And I sensed the Holy Spirit put his hand on my shoulder. It's okay. She'll live through it. Just go ahead. He just rubbed my shoulder. And I said, Amalia? Yes, Daddy? Now, she got this thing that when she knows she's wrong, when she asks me, she rubs my arm and looks at me. And I said... Go to bed now. I mean, she is, I 
never heard her holler. Her heart was broken. And Ephraim trying to be the savior says, what do you want to do with her, dad? What do you want to do? <laughs> and I said, Amalia. She says, yes, daddy. I said, all oh, the tears gone real quick. I just said that to myself. I said, go to bed. She went back. And I was strong, but I know. And she went to bed, stayed in the bed. But I know that if I let her have her way, she'll never grow. She'll never, ever grow. If I teach her that the sun shines every day, she'll never grow. If I never teach her that there are no consequences for your actions, she will never, ever grow. God loves you enough to tell you no. But guess what I told my daughter? I said, no, baby, but daddy loves you. And she went to bed. And I want us to learn that, listen, being a disciple has, it's hard. I don't want to paint this picture of this purpose-driven Christianity. I'm not talking about my brother Wick Warren. I'm talking about the other purpose people that purpose, everything's a come up. It's the, it's the most foreign thing to the Christian faith. It's about you give to God and you live a certain way so that God can make you rich and that's a come up. And that's what we teach people. We don't teach people like in Acts 14. It said, and they taught them many things that you must enter many trials as you enter the kingdom. We don't teach that anymore. And so you're unprepared and lack the resilience and you become entitled because you think God owes you a come up, not a get down. I'm done. My prayer is this. This is how I ended the first service. I want to know who Epiphany Fellowship is. That's what I want to know. I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, like, I don't want us to be the revolving church where some weeks you just decide to stay home just because you ain't feel like it. I'm not feeling that no more. I'm not feeling it. I'm going to just be straight up with you. You know, you decide what and what you want to come to and don't come to. And then come with a complaint. Like, I'm like this, y'all. I love y'all. But I'm saying this. We got a mission to do. And we got to be on the same page. And so all this, I, I just jammed somebody up that I ain't seen. They liking my post, but I ain't seen you in two years. I, I hit them up. I said, where you been? Where you been? Oh, 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 oh. And I'm saying, no, we got to do this in proximity. You want God's presence in proximity. You want God to bless you financially in proximity. Let him bless your next door neighbor and not you. Virtually give somebody else what was for you. See how that works out. No, we need proximity and connection. And it's love. And I say this in love. But we want to know who's here so that we can know who we're locking arms with to honor God, to glorify God, and build the kingdom. Amen? Father God, we thank you today. Whew. Maybe you're here and you're not... A follower of Jesus there's nobody else to really follow that promises to carry you through anything that promise to give you clarity in life promises most of all 
to extinguish God's wrath towards you. <laughs> and not only that, promises that he'll be with you forever and you'll be with him forever. Maybe you're here and we may have given and gotten a bit of a fuller view of who Jesus is. If you're here and you want to put your confidence in Jesus' death and resurrection and getting up from the grave for you, it was currency, God's currency, to forgive sins, to pay for them, our separations, our separation for him. If you're here today and you, you want to you place your confidence in Jesus, it's the best decision that you can make. Hold your hand in the air. We'd love to talk to you about Jesus in the balcony or on the floor. We say, I want to say yes to him. I want to place my confidence in the one who takes us from spiritual disconnection to spiritual connection. Somebody may be saying, I am spiritual. Whatever human being is spiritual to an extent, but it's according to where your spirituality connects you and leads you. Without Jesus, your spirituality is connected to all of us who were fathered by Satan prior to knowing Jesus. We were his seed. But when you trust Jesus, you become his seed. Seed of the woman, seed of Eve, ultimately seed of God. Anyone in here wants to place their confidence in Jesus? Well, let's take communion together. Um, as our ladies come around, our hospitality team, they're going to be handing it out if you don't have it. If you don't have communion and you're a believer in Jesus and you want to partake of him, hold your hand up. If you were missed or don't have it, once you get a stand for me. In the chapter we're in, Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh. He was talking about ingesting his person by faith in his death and resurrection. Let us eat together. Bible says life is in the blood. By faith in him, his blood is enough to go around. Let us drink of his life together. Most high. We trust you in our process as disciples. 
Discipleship is a process, not an event. And I'm praying that you would fill us here at Epiphany with an enduring community that endures to the end. But ultimately, we know, based on 1 Peter 1.5, that our salvation is preserved in heaven with you. Lord, help us not to drift away, but help us to draw near. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in order that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Take care. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.